This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. How how many love Jesus? Yeah, as I look out, I see some faces that I haven't seen. I want to welcome home the college students that have been off for Christmas, and we're glad that they're back, and uh, they, they change our atmosphere, and we're so thankful for them. And some of the college students didn't leave, and we're thankful for you as well, but we're thankful for those that are now back home as well. Uh, we're day 14 of our 21-day fast. Wow. I mean, those of you that are, that are in the middle of the fast should be going, yes, for, there's only seven more days left that I have to do without food or whatever it is that you're doing. But can I tell you, there's been a lot of things that have been happening in my heart. I hope that they're happening in your heart, and I know that lives are being touched and transformed as a result. Uh, just so that you're aware of, we, we, we start out our 21, first 21 days of the year because we want to say, God, we want to give you the best. We want to give you our first and our best. And so as we come and that's why we do this, as we come and say, God, would you prepare my heart? Would you align me with you? Would you help me to be prepared to do what you've asked me to do and be? Uh, And we open our South Campus Tuesdays through Fridays, and this is our final week to do so. But just so that you know, I want to give clarity uh, at 12 o'clock for our lunch hour, but clarity will be open Tuesday, Wednesday, no Thursday, and open on Friday. Thursday, we will be at East Campus here with about 100 and some pastors from across the state with our Rethink um, event. Um, and if, you'd be, if you're thinking about it, would you be praying for us? We're excited about that. Mark Batterson's going to be coming in uh, through Zoom, and, another, and Mark Lehman's going to be coming in through Zoom. These are names that our people will recognize and know. And uh, we're excited that we get to host it. We're excited that we get to be part of that and bring direction. So would you be praying? How many, let's just, can we just pray that pastors will hear? The pa- how many know that even though you... How, how many sometimes struggle with your hearing? Yeah. yeah, well, I got three of you that are honest. <laughs> Maybe not physical hearing, but how many spiritual hearing? You struggle with your spiritual hearing. Can I tell you that pastors can sometimes struggle with their spiritual hearing? So, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, is you have called and set up this opportunity on Thursday, we ask that you would anoint, God, that you would bring clarity, God, that you would open the ears that they might hear, and God, that pastors would walk away from here feeling encouraged, strengthened, and inspired, and not just, not just uh, satisfied with where they're at, but God, they would know the next steps and what they need to do. In Jesus' name, yeah. amen. So that happens on Thursday. Men and Women Bible Study is right around the corner as you saw this amazing announcement. Get on and register. Uh, we have a great turnout with men's, men's Bible Study already and one coming up with the Women's Bible Study. Make sure you get on and register if you have not. Make an adjustment to your life for a short period of time and I can tell you it will pay off in the end. You're going to build new relationships. You're going to gain new territory and new ground with God. And can I tell you, God doesn't want us to be comfortable, right? right. right? Bump your neighbor really hard. Say, I want, God doesn't want us to be comfortable. You know, as we, uh, God wants us to be stirred. Also, as you heard that amazing announcement by, by Phil, we have a brand new ministry, Empty Nesters Plus. It's right around the corner. Uh, we have an amazing leadership team in that category. Uh, Phil, I was just calling Pastor Phil because he's a pastor in our lives. But Phil and Anne-Marie and uh, Frank and Karen and Larry and Jan, they're all part of this leadership team. And if you're like, as uh, 
uh, Phil so eloquently promoted. If you are part of that group of an empty nester or 50 plus, we want you to be there. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get together. And I have nothing to do with it. I'm just going to go and participate and eat some food. So if you just want to come and eat some food and chat, I would love to do so. We're in the middle. We're, we're in the middle of. We just begun a journey. Uh, I can I can say we we're in the middle of. Par, partially, Trent and I are in the middle of because we've been journeying for the last six or seven months with this series. Uh, we've been feeling the call and the push that God has called us to with love where you live. Everyone say it with me. Love where you live. Turn to your neighbor and say, love where you live. It comes back to this whole thing is, uh, do you love where you live? Last week was an amazing, powerful message. If you'd missed it, I encourage you, go back and listen to it. Um, I will say, personally, it was... It was uh, rough for me as a lead pastor not step up and introduce the topic and to talk about it. But can I tell you, rightfully so, the man that had the message, the man of the hour was Trenton. And he stepped up with anointing and power and delivered a message that I will say is life transforming to you if you will embrace it. Life transforming to you if you will accept it and you will apply it to your life. And he did an eloquent, amazing job. And this is what I do know as we discussed this last week in Connect Groups. If you're part of Connect Groups, if not, I don't know if it's too late or not, but you're missing out. Uh, that's my shameless plug. But uh, as we talked, we realized that there was, there's some pieces that are missing um, as you guys are feeding back to us what we're feeling, what we're sensing, some things that you're missing. And we realize that part of it is we've digested for six to, six to nine months, and we know that this is a journey that we need to take you on. And so if you hear things repeated, if you hear things that we're going back to, uh, it's because we want you to grasp this. We want, you to, we want to take you someplace. He asked three powerful questions that will continue to follow us through this series, but why do you live where you live? Why do you live where you live? And this whole question comes back to the overarching sovereignty of God in your life. Many of us think that we make our own decisions and we make our way, but ultimately what I want you to know is that God is the director of every step that you have. And really, it comes to this point of accepting that I'm not just in Salem because I've chose to be in Salem. I'm not just in Salem because my job is in Salem. I'm not just in Salem because I like the city. I'm in, I'm in Salem because God has called me to the city of Salem. And uh, this word sovereignty, just so you understand it, is that there is a supreme power. That supreme power is God and that he's ordering your life. That every event, every situation, every step you take... God is overarching. When we come back and we go to Romans chapter 8, that all things, if we believe the statement that all things work together for good, that means that there's a sovereign God that is over your life that is making every circumstance that you're involved in, where you live, part of his plan. Second question is, how do you feel about where you live? How do you feel about where you live? We got all sorts of feelings. There's times I like it. There's times I don't like it. There's times I'm happy and there's times I'm angry. Anybody can cor correlate with those feelings? Those feelings of how do you feel about where you live? And then the final question, what would happen if, everyone say if, the potential, the possibility, what would happen if you truly loved where you live? What could happen? I think this is an area that we're trying to say, what, can you imagine what would happen through your life if you loved where God placed you? What could happen if you would step in with wholeheartedness and be what God, has, God wants you to be in your life? As we've, the overarching passage of Scripture is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you, everyone say you, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Last week was a platform, was a foundation, was an overarching of where we're going and how we're going to walk this out. And today we begin phase number one. And I just want to give you those phases real quickly. Phase number one is a personal transformation that has to deal with you, not your neighbor, not the people on the street, not where you work, not the person that's causing you to be angry, not the person that's asking you for something, but you. God wants to talk to you. And so we're going to be on a several-week journey of the personal transformation. Our second phase, number two, is a home transformation where it's going to be you and your family. How does that fit into the spectrum of life? Phase number three is our circle transformation, and that's our work, our school, our play, our friends. And finally, phase number four is our city transformation, this wonderful city that we get to live in. What I love about this verse of Scripture in Acts 1, verse 8 is that it parallels very well with the last, with the last words of, uh, of Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The reason that Jesus was sent was for this world, for God so loved the world that he gave. It had to come back to Jesus' obedience to come, and in the process of his obedience, he decided that he was going to call people to go on the journey with him, and he called them disciples. Uh, and in that sense, there was 12, plus there was 100, plus there was a little bigger spectrum. And now, today, that's you and that's me. That we have a responsibility to walk in, walk in obedience to God to go. God so loved this world. His plan was that we would go and we'd share by sharing the love and this living message of the gospel. And it comes back to us personally owning the gospel, personally being impacted by the gospel, but also going to the place of going, am I willing to share this gospel? This personal transformation is, as, as you know, you and I cannot personally transform our hearts. You and I can come and we can make great decisions. We can make wise decisions. We can come and say, I'm going to lose weight and we're going to follow a weight loss plan. We can read a self-help book and we can help ourselves mentally and emotionally. We can do all these things that we talk about self-helping, but how many know the very fact that we can also be self-deceiving? How many have ever deceived yourself? How many think something about yourself that's not true, whether it's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought or thinking less than yourself? We've all been self-deceived. For us to come and to embrace this concept of personal transformation, we have to realize that we have little power in ourselves, but God has all power in himself. And so what is this part of transformation of the heart is coming back to a place of saying, God, I need to surrender to your heart. I need to come in contact with you that you would make me who I need to be. As I think about my personal journey and seeing the sovereignty of God in my life, seeing his hand upon me, uh, I, I can skip through so many things and see where God ordered and directed. And I want to kind of pick up on my story just a little bit as I sat down this week after Pastor Trenton preached and I just began to evaluate my journey and the sovereignty of God of why I love Salem. And if you will just bear with me, you don't have a choice whether to, to, that I'm going to do it or not because I'm going to read my journal entry to you this week. As I look back on my life, 59 years, 32 years of those being spent in the city of Salem. I can see the sovereign hand of God bringing me to this city. I didn't always see it. And honestly, 
I didn't even want to see it. But I sovereignly met and fell in love with and married a Salemite girl. I don't ever remember being our intent that we would end up in Salem, but my dream was to minister and to be what God called me to be. Rhonda and I graduated from Northwest University in Kirkland, Washington, and we were hired into a position in Colorado and were preparing to move several states away right after we got married. And the day before our wedding, an alarming circumstance arose in the church in Colorado, and we decided to tell them that we weren't coming. Can I tell you the sovereignty of God? So after our honeymoon, we moved everything we had from Washington to Salem, Oregon. Shortly after that, we accepted a position in Forest Grove, moving there to serve for four years. Circumstances arose in our lives and ministry, and I strongly felt the need to resign, and we had again moved back to the city of Salem. I got a secular job and didn't know what, what was next, the sovereignty of God. Shortly after that, receiving a job at Calvary Temple, now Relevant Life Church, and I worked as a bivocational pastor for a year or so and then moved to full-time associate roles for 19 years and then in 2008 became the lead pastor of now RLC. Did I love Salem then? Did I even like Salem then? I don't remember all my feelings and all my emotions, but I do know this, that God had a purpose for me in my life. As time passed, there were many times that I sought to leave. There's many times that I was unhappy. There was many times that I was discontent and difficult, uh, difficulties in ministry. Other ministry opportunities arose, significant church offers to other locations, even just pursuing something new. But every time the Lord would close the door, many times he would slam the door, and most every single time he would do something inside of Kevin. He did something inside of me. He would shift me. He would change my heart. He would shift my perspective. Over the years, God has changed me. He's changed my heart. And I have to come back and go, do I love Salem today? Most of the time. Do I like Salem today? Most of the time. But when I focus on what is wrong with Salem... I get dissatisfied and I get frustrated. When I focus on the political and the cultural disruption, I forget that Salem was prophetically called the city of peace. When I focus on the societal dysfunctions like homelessness, mental illness, crime, and unrest, I say, God, why don't you do something? And inevitably, he declares back to me every single time, Kevin, why don't you do something? My city is filled with diamonds. We are in the hub of everything that is important that is happening in this state. Geographically, we are located in one of the most beautiful locations in, in the state of Oregon. Landmarks, mountains, oceans, rivers. Can I tell you that I come back and I love the culture, the multi-ethnicity, the multi-races that are present in our city? There's great history in this city. There are deep spiritual roots in this city, and we're going to get to those in this series. We have a strong presence of small businesses. Can I tell you that we have a city filled with wonderful people? If you're not seeing the wonderful people, you're looking in the wrong place. And can I tell you the best thing about Salem? Relevant Life Church. You are here. 
Diamonds. I come back and I think about this question. These are diamonds to me. What are diamonds to you? Do you know that you are here on purpose? Is this by accident, you think? Do you get caught up in just the process of where you live and the frustrations of the, the places that are here? Or maybe that you're this self-made individual. Around 1300 AD, an unknown monk wrote this. When I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I decided to change my nation. And when I found out that I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. And when I couldn't change the town, and also as an older man, I tried to change my family. Now as an old man, I realize the only thing that I can change is myself. And, if, and suddenly I realized that if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact in my family. My family and I could have made an impact in our town, and their impact could have changed the nation and even changed the world. Today I want you to know that that's really what the sum up of this series is, is realizing that if you will change you, if you will allow God to transform your heart, the power of your impact is insurmountable. The power of a person, a man or a woman or a youth or a child is enough. We can look throughout all scripture and we can see that God picked men and women, a Gideon, a Deborah, a David, a Jonah, an Esther, a Moses, a Daniel, a Paul, and ultimately Jesus to transform a world. One who would connect to the heartbeat of God and walk in obedience to his desires. Can I tell you that today is absolutely no different Today is no different if God could get a hold of one individual that would believe his word, that would trust his heart, that would move with his compassion and move with his love. Can you imagine what would happen if today we live in a culture of a makeover mania? A culture that we are enthralled by home and self-makeovers, by uh, do-it-yourself processes. Still the most watched, some of the most watched popular TV shows are the reality do-it-yourself shows. Home improvement, self-improvement shows. I was reading an article this week. It says, people love the stories behind the makeover. People love the transformation tale. They like to, to fast forward through the journey, not to see the journey in real time. Why? Because the journey is mundane. The journey is boring. The journey is painful. They want to see the highlights. Can I tell you, we've become a, church, a, a, a culture of highlights. They are connected, but not encountering every drama that is present in real life. Ultimately, they love the before and the after. And I ask you this morning, who doesn't love a good story? Who doesn't love a makeover? The best part, as I think about it, is what? The big reveal, the big wow, to step back and go, man, look what was and what is. I ask you this morning, what is your before and after picture? What is your before and after picture? You're before Christ and you're after Christ. You're before you and you're after you. Where are you at? What does it look like? Do you look the exact same? If you look the same as you did, then you're in need of a makeover. If you look, what you, if you look like the world, you're in need of a makeover. I think of the old school Polaroid cameras. They kind of made a big 
impact back in our society again, and people are like enthralled with the polar cameras. Remember, the little, the, the, you push the button, and out pops this little picture, and uh, you pull the picture out, and you have to wave it and hold on to it. And what? It takes, what, two to, two to five minutes for it to actually be the process of. Can I tell you that that's your and my life? We're in the process of, so the, so the picture looks fuzzy. Leonard Ravenhill says this, there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the truth or the self-deception of, the other people, the other that people think that we are, their perception of whether that's right or wrong, and the only, and the one that God knows that we are, the reality. Today, when we sit here in this service this morning, the only one that really knows you is God. The only one that really knows you and your potential and your background and your future is God. The only one that can actually get you to that destination is God. God knows the real you. He knows the good, the bad, the ugly. Not only does he know all about your past life, your successes, your failures, and your hurts, he even knows your present successes, failures, and hurts. But most importantly is this. God knows your future. He's not just a God of the past and the present. He's a God of the future. He's calling you someplace. He's taking you on a journey. This God who is sovereign, this God who knows and knows what you, where you need to go, the one who's guided you in the past will guide you in the present and is going to guide and shape you in the future. God knows who we are. And he knows most importantly what he has purposed you and designed you to become. Should we not surrender to that? Should we not discover that? Should we not say, God, I need to know you. I want to know you. This journey that we're on of loving where you live begins with you and God. The reality is this. The entire journey is about God inside of you. When you think about every step that we're stepping into, whether that's our personal transformation to our family transformation, to our circle transformation, to our city transformation. All of that is done because God is in you doing a work in you and changing your heart. And the only way that we can love where we live is by being in contact with the one who truly loves where we live. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, or 16, excuse me, says this. So we have come to know and to believe. I want to ask you, what do you know and what do you believe about the love of God? So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Everyone say it with me. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This process of understanding God's love, this process of walking out God's love, is just that, a process. Those who have come to know and to believe at one moment we did not know, and then we've been exposed to, and now we have come to belief systems about it. And I want to tell you today that if your belief system has not moved to the fact that God loves every person on this planet, so therefore you should love every person on this planet, you've stopped too soon. Whoever abides in love abides in God. This personal transformation comes back to our love quotient, our love potential. And I ask you today on a scale of one to 10, what's your love quotient? Are you someone that loves? Are you someone that judges? Are you someone that loves? Are you someone that criticizes? Are you someone that loves? Are you someone that, that wants to, to manipulate? 
Are you someone that loves or do you gossip? Are you someone that, that loves or do you cut down and tear down? A recent Barna survey, and we'll come back more to this as I develop my points a little bit later on, but a recent Barna survey said this, people polled about the perception of the church of Jesus Christ. 21% value the church and what it stands for. 21% of our nation values the church of Jesus Christ, what they can give socially, what they can give monetarily, what they can do through service, maybe what they stand for. But the three top criticisms are this. The church is judgmental, selfish, and unloving. That's all one, that's number one. Number two, the church is prideful, smug, and arrogant. Number three, the church is disconnected from real life issues. I want you to evaluate your own life as we step into this conversation, as we begin to talk about you and I begin to talk about me. Can I tell you that I, as I read those statements, I would love to come and say, no, I'm loving every single moment of every single day. But how many times have I judged and criticized wrongly? I would like to say that I'm a person of humility, but how many times have I come with pride and arrogance and smugness when I look at our society? I would love to say that I'm relevant because we're relevant life church and we're connected to the issues of our culture, but how many of us can sometimes be disconnected from the reality of someone else's life and so consumed with our lives? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we began over this series, is this very thing. And you, everyone say you, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Turn to your neighbor and say, you will. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you will. I want a part, full participation. You will. And then turn to your neighbor and say, I will. Somewhere it has to come back to realizing that the you is you, that means it's I. You've got to come back and you've got to own it. And this prophetic word, this declaration that Jesus comes and says, you will receive. And I ask you, have you received? Have you received? Have you been in close contact? Have you been in connection with him to receive the heart of God? Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says, And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Forty days after Jesus had risen from the dead, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through one through eight, up to update, come back and they talk about that Jesus uh, uh, appeared to the disciples. He gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He gave them important instructions about the Holy Spirit. Yet still they didn't understand. And he came, they came back to him and says, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Can I tell you that so oftentimes Jesus comes and he communicates to us and we're like going, yeah, I got that. And he's going, no, you don't understand. But in the meantime, he comes in, he says, in the meantime, I want you to do this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. As he declares, he declares as he ascends to heaven and he's gone and they stand there looking up intently to the sky. Can you imagine with me? They're pondering what's next. 
Even though Jesus has told them the steps to take to go back to Jerusalem, even though he has already told them to go into all the world, they stand there pondering and looking up intently, maybe crying, maybe comforting one another, maybe going, we don't know what we're going to do, maybe feeling overwhelmed, maybe feeling fearful. We don't know how long they took. But can I tell you, it took long enough that two angels would come and say, why are you standing here looking up? And I sense in my spirit this morning, the Holy Spirit coming and saying, you, why are you sitting here looking up? Why are you standing here looking up? I sense with those angels, they're saying, get on with it. What are you waiting for? Move. We fast forward to Acts chapter 4. By this time, they had left and gone to Jerusalem. Ten days later uh, was the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came and filled them and transformed their lives. Peter immediately preaches preaches and 3,000 were saved. In the end of Acts chapter 2, the early church begins in the homes and it says they taught and they broke bread and they prayed and they, with miracles, they saw miracles happening and praising God and they were added, daily, was, daily people were added to their numbers. Next major event that we see is Acts chapter 3 and Peter and John are on their way to pray and they encounter the dynamic story of the lame man. A story that we're familiar with, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. Rise and walk. And as a result of that, people gather and another 5,000 men were added to their number. And we jump into Acts chapter 4 and we see verse 13 that we just read. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think about this and I go, wow, what an amazing makeover. Just three chapters earlier, they're standing on the hill going, what are we going to do? Just three chapters earlier, they were still in their insecurities and their brokenness and not knowing what's going to happen. And here, chapter four, all of a sudden we see that people are astonished. A before and after picture, a makeover story of Peter and John. Before they were, says that they were ordinary, unschooled, brash, prideful, self-centered. We can go throughout all the different areas and see what was wrong with them. And after the fact, they were passionate on a mission. They had a love for people. There was a span of time of events from Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Luke is writing like a reality show, revealing the highlights, not the everyday, the time span of three chapters, actually 112 verses. And as I I read this, I imagine the days, possibly weeks, transpired in between the events. But can I tell you, in a literal, literal time, theologians declare that it was three to six years that transpired between Acts chapter one and Acts chapter four. What you and I need to remember is that Acts, the entire book of Acts is an overview of the first 30 years of the early church, of their challenges, their successes, the before and the after. And for some reason in our lives, we don't like to think of the process in between. You and I don't want to walk the journey, but I want to tell you today that God has you and I in a process and on a journey. And as much as we like to see the highlight reel, 
I want to declare to you today that you and I have to actually walk it step by step, day by day, moment by moment. Why? Because a story is being written about you. God's doing a work through you. And if you're not present, if you're not there, God cannot use you. Each event in the book of Acts was a catalyst for change. Each event was a catalyst for transformation. But personal change, personal transformation of the disciples was the catalyst for each event. Can I tell you today, when we look at the city of Salem and we come to May, June, and the future of 2024 and 2025 and 2026, what is going to be said about us? This journey that we've been on, that the catalyst for change was the personal transformation of every disciple. Are you resisting the transformation or are you going to say, God, I embrace the transformation? God, I want to come in contact with you. What's going to be written about the city of Salem in 30 years? What has been written about the city of Salem in 30 years? Stinking, I've been here 32. Can I tell you, I look back and I go, man, missed opportunities. And this morning I could come up here and go, oh, I regret and live in regret of what we have not done. But today is the day. This moment is the moment. And I can't make you do it, and I can't transform your heart, and you can't transform your heart. Only the presence of God in your life can do so. Who was Peter before Jesus? Jesus was a fisherman by trade. He did grow into a spiritually gifted preacher and a bold leader, but in the Gospels, he's portrayed as a zealous, passionate, strong-willed, prideful, brash, always speaking his mind and acting on impulse kind of man. Peter was also timid. He's the one that actually denied Christ, if you remember. Who was John before Jesus? John was a fisherman by trade also. He, became, he did become a man of humility, compassion, and a willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But, the go, but in the gospel, he's characterized as one who is zealous, zealous, one who has selfish ambition, one who's acted rashly, recklessly, aggressively. He was prideful to think that there was a special place for him in the kingdom of God. He was labeled as a son of thunder along with his brother James, revealing that there was an anger issue in his life. He was a man of justice and a man of judgment. These traits, before and after Christ, in and of themselves, are not bad or even wrong. Can I tell you, as I look at my own life, I can see Peter and I can see John in me. Have you ever been brass? Have you ever been zealous, motivated? Have you ever been prideful? Have you ever thought that your way was the right way? Have you ever been so deceived to think that you're the only one that's doing it right and everyone else is doing it wrong? Each of us here can suffer from fear, intimidation, and judgmentalism. Each of us here can suffer from pride and impulsive behavior and selfishness, and a justice mindset. That reveals to me in my heart that I need God to transform me. That I need to be connected with him. That me in this phase number one, for me to really love the city of Salem, I've got to come in contact with the man who created Salem, who designed Salem, who has a passion for Salem, who has a future for Salem. Two particular traits that I want to look at this morning are the ones that 
or pointed out in the Barna report, unloving, judgmental, and smugness and pride. Two traits that probably you could step in and go, no, that's not me, but I want to look at Peter and John through this lens this morning, before and after. Number one, zeal must always be balanced by love. Zeal must always be balanced by love. Peter and John, can I tell you, they were powerhouses. They were powerhouses. They were earth shakers. They were going to move something. But before Christ, they were more like bulldozers rather than finish workers. Before Christ, they were more destruction rather than transformation. And I want to ask you, in your zeal, in your desire, in your passion, are you bringing more destruction than you are bringing peace and joy and love? Zeal is good, right? Isn't enthusiasm good? Isn't passion good? The definition of, of zeal is this, passion. Great enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an obje objective. Enthusiasm. We all need enthusiasm. We all want enthusiasm. Man, I can tell you when the worship team gets up here, they're going, would you guys get some zeal? They're, they worship better when you worship better. I worship better when you worship better, right? Passion. But can I tell you, misdirected passion, misdirected zeal brings destruction. Misdirected zeal without it being tempered by love, can turn into harshness and judgmentalism. We can come today and I can stand and I can look at the history of Relevant Life Church and I can go, come on, where's it at? And I can come with harshness and judgmentalism to go, no, we're not there yet, come on. Or I can say no in love, look at where we're at and look at where we need to get. Theodore Roosevelt said this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Can I tell you that we can step out and do what we think we need to do? We can get all over it to love our city and take the steps that we think are the top five steps to do, but if we do it with zeal, without love, we're missing every opportunity. We're going to bring destruction rather than health and life. If God is love, then we must personally encounter the heart of God. We must personally encounter the heart of God for the person that you struggle loving. We must personally encounter the heart of God for every situation in our city to be able to step back and go, no, God loves them. He's not, he's zealous in his love. He's zealous in his passion, but he's not zealous to destroy. He's zealous to bring life. There's a difference between good intentions and right behaviors. Can I tell you, I know that there are some in this room, and my, myself included, is that I can hear a challenge such as we've heard last week in loving where you live, and I can go, okay, so let's begin to go, let's, let's intend, we, we intend to do this, let's go do this, let's get on with it. And God says, it's not just good intentions, it's right behaviors. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verses 1 through 8, a passage of Scripture that if you've known Christ any length of time, you probably have heard this, and we probably discount it, and we probably have been self-deceived by it. But my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will open your ears and open your understanding. If I speak in the, men, in the tongues of men and of angels, 
but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I, have all the, uh, if I give all that I have, to, uh, all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not lo- have love, I gain nothing. Can I tell you, those first uh, seven verses are, are good intentions. They're right behaviors. They're going, God, I'm going to take, take one for the team. Can I tell you that all those behaviors, it says this with our lives, that all we're doing is making a noise. That no one can see the love. All they can go is, oh, well, look at what they're doing. And in our brashness and in our pride, we're saying, look at us. Can I tell you the next verses of this in verses four through eight? It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can I tell you the difference between one through three and four through eight? One through three is showy. One through three is let me, let me let you see all that I can. I learned your language so that I can minister to you. I'm relevant to you because I want to show you love. Look at me. Oh, let me give you everything. that. Let me just support your needs. Can I tell you one through three is showy? And yeah, there's a segment in our lives that we need to be doing. But bottom line is four through eight. Because I can tell you this, four through eight is relational, not showy. Four through eight is one-on-one, not in the masses. That love is patient. Love is kind. To the individual, love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not pride. It's not proud as you drive down the road and go, look at them. Look, they... They're in their own circumstances because they created that mess. It does not dishonor others. This isn't just talking about people in this body. This is talking about humanity. It is not self-seeking. It's not loving and going, what am I going to get out of this? It's going loving, I'm going to, look what I get to give. Love is not easily angered. That one needs to be stamped on my forehead as I drive across town. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love seeks to protect. Love seeks to trust. Love seeks to hope. It seeks to persevere. It says love, this kind of love, love, verses 4 through 7, it says that kind of love, love never fails. We step back and we look at the success of Relevant Life Church or we step back and we can look at the success of the church in America and I can tell you this, if the secular world is coming back and going that they do not love, we're failing because God's love never fails. God's love is relational. God's love is one-on-one and we can't expose the one-on-one unless we come to the face of the one, unless we encounter him in our lives. 
I'm emotional about it this morning because I can tell you the Holy Spirit has taken me through the ringer this week. As I can come and I can think of prideful areas that I think I'm doing good and the Holy Spirit says, oh, really? Oh, really? Kevin, what about that opportunity? And I don't come up here in condemnation. I come up here in the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life to go, God, I need you. I need you. Point number two. Confidence must be tempered by compassion. Confidence is good, right? We like confident leaders. We like people who are confident. Ultimately, confidence and boldness, untempered, unmixed with compassion and grace, can quickly turn to pride and smugness. I use the word smugness this morning just because I had to go look up the definition after the Barna research basically said that was the word that they think about Christians. How many off the top of your head know what smugness is? Smugness is a form of pride, but this is the definition of it. An attitude or feeling irritatingly pleased with oneself. One who is better than one who is superior to. Let me ask you, how many like it when you've been around someone that is irritatingly pleased with themselves? You know what I'm talking about? Irritatingly full of them. Confidence and boldness are wonderful virtues, but without humility, they can become self-confidence, which can lead to boasting and an attitude of exclusiveness. When that happens, our witness of grace, of the grace of God is tainted. God calls us to a place of humility. And humility ushers in compassion. Jesus was a man of compassion. He understood compassion. This word compassion is sympathetic pity, concern for the suffering of others. Sympathetic concern or pity for the suffering of others. I sum it up with this, being someone who is a grace giver, being someone who's willing to go the extra mile. How many have received compassion from God in your life? How many have received the grace of God in your life? I come back and go, Do I deserve that grace? Well, you know, God, no, bottom line, do I deserve that grace? No, I don't. Do you deserve the grace? Hate to tell you, no, you don't. When we're not moved with compassion, we're withholding grace from people. When we are not moved with compassion in our hearts and in our lives, we're saying, God, God's grace, you can't cover that. Colossians chapter 3 says this, but put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, and it goes through a list of things. In verse 7, it says, you used to walk in these things, in these ways of life, in this life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourself. And he goes through all these things. He says, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and, uh, from your lips. And I come back and go, have you rid yourself of these, Christian? Do you struggle with these? If you struggle with these, you need the grace of God in your life. 
Verse 9, do, you, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed. Everyone say being renewed. You're in a process. You're set out for a destination. You're in the process of before to after. And I love this in verse 11. It says, here there is no Jew, Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This passage of scripture is coming and going. You're not better than because of who you are. This speaks to race and position and station in life that regardless of they're in Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus says that Jesus went all throughout the towns and villages, and it says that he was moved with compassion. His life was accelerated by compassion. He was a man who gave grace even though he did not need grace. The reality is this. Compassion doesn't need permission to help. It sees and it responds. All of us at times can be filled with smugness. All of us at times can be filled with judgment. If you remember, Leonard Ravenhill said there's three people. There's the one you know, there's the one that others perceive, and there's the one that God knows. And can I tell you the one that's most important is the one that God knows? Because if God knows you, People are going to perceive how they want to, but God's the one that you live for to please. If you're living for God and you're saying, God, I want compassion, I want love, you may not be liked, you may be judged, but I can tell you, you're going to please, you're going to be someone who's genuine and real. Like Peter and John, if we're to be effective, we have to be transformed. We have to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. Living where you live begins with you. Everyone say, begins with you. Come on, begins with you. Now I want you to say, it begins with me. God is in the business of transforming and preparing you in your mission, for your mission field. And if you live in the city of Salem, newsflash, your mission field is Salem. Newsflash, it's not the town that you're hoping to go to. It's not the neighborhood that you're hoping to move to. It's here. It's now. Edward Hale says this, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but I still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. You, God, what can you do today? You can connect with him. Step number one, you can connect with him. Step number one is come and say, God, I need you to give me love in my heart for my city. Step number two, God, I need you to give me compassion in my heart for my city. I've asked the worship team to come and sing this simple chorus. I want to make room for you. Just a few moments here, and I want to invite you. Would you purposefully make room for him? And then I'm going to come and I'm going to close in prayer. Make room for him to work 
in your heart with love and compassion. You know where you're at. You know where there's judgmentalism and criticism. Come and let's repent first and let's make room for him. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to and do whatever you want to and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to come on and do whatever you want to yes I will make Do whatever you want to. Would you change us? Would you transform us? Do whatever you want to. Yes, I will make room for you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. To do whatever you want to. Do whatever you want to. Shake up the ground with all my tradition. Break down the Come on, invite him to do this in your life. Your way is better. And your way is better. Shake up the ground. All my tradition. Break down the walls. All my religion. Your way is better. And your way is better. And I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to, do whatever you want to, and I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to, do whatever you want to. God, today in this moment, this is a beginning space for many as a continuation for others of realizing areas of our lives that need to be transformed, areas that we think we may be okay and areas that we may have justified. But God, these two primary areas of our life of loving and being compassionate. God, today I pray that there would be a commitment steps that we will walk out this week to connect with you better that we might see ourselves clear. God, we come today and we say, change my heart that I might love not just you more, but others more. God, would you change our hearts to be compassionate and not smug? compassionate and not arrogant and prideful, compassionate to realize that if it were not for you in our lives, we could be in the exact same scenario that those other people are. And God, today we are not better than, we're different than because we have encountered you. Because your sovereign hand is on our life and you've shifted us and changed us. And God, we know that there's potential for every person in this city of Salem to function in your love and to function in compassion, to be transformed, to be changed. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to see the connection of the cat, that we are part of that catalyst of doing so. I hope that you have your Love Where You Live pamphlet. If you don't, there are some more on the back, back there. If you've not taken opportunity to fill it out, I encourage you to do so. Once again, I want to read through a few lines as we close this morning. That I, Kevin, am called by Jesus to love where I live. I believe that God has created me and uniquely, uh, you created me uniquely to show the love, this love to people here in Salem. My job is more than a paycheck. My school is more than a diploma. My retirement is more than leisure. There is greater purpose to my life than the tasks that I do. The places I occupy in life are places of mission and worship. The places I occupy in life are places of mission and worship. My job, my home, the street I live on, I am sent by Jesus to honor him. The bottom part there, as we see it on the, on the slide, it says, I commit. Come on, would you read it with me? Let's read it together. Go ahead and put it up there. My final, there, there it is. Come on, let's read it together. One, two, three. I commit to not complain, to sit on the sidelines, or to wish I was somewhere else. Instead, I will pray, Jesus, may your kingdom come and your will be done in Salem as it is in heaven. And God, I'm going to add to this, may it be done in me as it is in heaven. Would you pray that with me? God, may it be done in me. Come on. God, may it be done in me as it is in heaven. God, would you change us to be what it is in heaven, what your purpose is in heaven, that we might rightly love. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Remember to go out and love where you live. Our prayer team is coming around the front to pray for people that maybe you just need encouraged through this from the sermon. Maybe you need to have a prayer request. Would you let them pray with you? We will see you next Sunday. Have an amazing week. Be, be productive, be effective, love where you live. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.